0: listening to PetLifeRadio.com.
1: That's it. You're madder than a junkyard dog and you're not going to take it anymore. Your feathers are ruffled, your dander's up, and you've got a definite bone to pick. Welcome to Pet Peas, the show that lets you dig through the dirt and unleash your passion for pets. Why let sleeping dogs lie when you can take the bull by the horns and let the fur fly? So get your claws out and get ready to rattle some cages on Pet Peeves with your host, pet expert, and award-winning author, Amy Showjob.
2: Hey there, and welcome to Pet Peeves on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Amy Shojai, and today we're continuing our discussion of animals in movies and TV. So look out, folks. Here's my rant of the week. Today, more than 60% of U.S. households share their lives and their loves with pets. So the popularity of animal-themed shows really is not all that surprising. As I said before, I grew up watching TV shows like Fury the Horse and Sky King with his sled dog. Oh, and Flipper the Dolphin, that was my hero. Disney movies celebrate animal friends, both wild and domesticated. And in my day, Westerns were all over the airways with herds of horses and cattle. These were TV staples. But as we learned on our last show, the old days weren't always so friendly for animal actors, and that's why the American Humane Association stepped in. Times have changed for the better, with recent shows like Frasier that celebrates Eddie the dog, and Animal Planet brings us a boatload of cutesy animal shows. In fact, last summer I was one of several pet experts interviewed for the new Dogs 101 and Cats 101 Animal Planet show that is currently airing. But I was in a studio. We had only one or two dogs present as, as examples, kind of stand-ins, and the most they had us do was sit on my lap. Now, the footage of all the animals performing in various ways was added later. I'm sure this happens a lot with both film and TV, with bits and pieces being filmed at various times and different locations, so I didn't get to see it. And I'm really curious, what really happens to get pets to perform on cue? Is the perception different than the reality? Is it any different after the cameras stop recording? So, my guest today will answer some of these questions. Karen Rosa director of American Humane Association's Film and Television Unit, has been with the unit for over 17 years. American Humane Association has overseen movie sets since 1940 to make sure animal actors stay safe while portraying those heroes, villains, companions, and comedians that we all love to watch. American Humane's Film and Television Unit is actually designated by the Screen Actors Guild as the only animal welfare organization with on-set jurisdiction. We're going to find out what that means. So we're going to have a cattle call for all those wannabe animal actors out there to learn the inside scoop about the business. We'll be right back with Karen Rosa after these messages from our sponsor. (laughs)
1: Okay, time to call off the dogs. Pet Peeves will be back with more biting topics right after we kibble a little with our sponsors. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. We know you're foaming at the mouth to get back to pet peeves. So here's Amy with some more tail-tying, fur-flying fun.
2: Welcome back to Pet Peeves on PetLife Radio. We're talking with Karen Rosa, who has been an advocate for animal actors for, oh gosh, More than a couple decades, I think. Welcome to the show, Karen. Good morning. Good morning. And what I'd like to ask, as I do all of my guests, first things, out of the gate, a little bit about yourself. What cats and dogs do you have? What critters share your life and love?
0: Well, currently, I have one multicultural rescue, Um, my dog Carly, and she is um, an elder canine. She's about 12 years old, but... um, We're doing quite well, and she is just the love of my life. And in the past, I have had other dogs and cats and birds, including when I was actually in advertising. I actually had a client who raised uh, Arabian horses, so I learned a great deal about horses as well.
2: Oh, of course. I live in North Texas. It's the middle of horse country. We've got the painted horses and the quarter horses, and oh, Lord, I love the Arabians. I actually took some lessons on Arabian at one time, so I just wish that I had one in my backyard at the moment.
0: When you finally realize in a very personal way what the bond is like between humans and animals... It's a very, very special connection, and I think when you talked earlier about animal-themed shows being popular, I think it is because more people own pets today, and they understand that bond.
2: I think you're exactly right there, and that's that's why it's a little difficult for us now, looking back in the past, and it wasn't always that way. I know that some of the, uh, the, the animals in movies, and us as viewers, we may not have even been aware of what all was going on when the, the the courageous horse jumped down the cliff and kept going, and maybe you didn't notice down the road that, you know, that black horse with the blaze on his face suddenly turned into a black horse with a little snip on his nose instead. Maybe some of those animals didn't survive some of these things. I know in, what was it, in Ben-Hur, I think there were some terrible things that went on, but that's changed. How did... How did the American Humane get involved?
0: Well, actually, American Humane was involved as early as 1925. We had a committee that reviewed the humane treatment of animals in in uh, filmed media. In those days, it was mostly just films, you know. But they were very active in, in keeping their eye on that and asking questions and, you know, doing a modicum of protesting. Uh, certainly, um, Errol Flynn, after charge of the Light Brigade, was extremely instrumental as one of the first celebrities to speak up uh, against the pit tripping and wire tripping of the horses that went on during that film. At least 25 horses had to be euthanized or died in the course of making that film. And that was in 1938, I believe, 37 or 38. And then in 1939, during the making of the film Jesse James with Henry Fonda and Tyrone Tower, they um, actually used something called a tilt shoot which was like a teeter-totter, and they would load the horse in blindfolded, and it was draped, and then they would pull the drape and the blindfold and tilt the chute, and the horse would go off the cliff, and that's exactly what happened, and unfortunately, oh two horses died in the course of that film, and American Humane, as a national organization, which we still are to this day, led a very serious outcry and we we gained jurisdiction through the Motion Picture Producers and Distributors Association. They wanted better humane treatment of the animals as well. We established our office in 1940.
2: Well, now, I have to ask this question. Obviously, some of the actors and, and the, the directors and the people involved in this had to know that this wasn't... This wasn't a good thing to do. Why would they do this? Were animals that cheap? Were people, I, I know from the last show that, that we did, and we didn't talk about the human aspect of it, but at that time, I know that even extras and uh, stunts done by people, they were not paid all that well. This was, I mean, you could get them, it was cheaper to replace them than to treat them well. Is that kind of the mindset?
0: Well, it was, and, you know, I I think we tried to apply our own values and uh, our own kind of social bearings from today on what was happening back then. To make $5 a week in, in the 30s during the Depression was a lot of money. So to be paid on a daily basis, um, most of these stunt guys were probably wranglers. They were ex-cowboys. They worked on ranches, so they knew how to ride, and you know, they kind of came out of that culture. And the attitudes toward animals were very different. Animals were livestock, and they were working animals. They were not the pampered pets that we have today. They certainly did not have the same kind of pedestal to stand on that they do today. And that's not to say it was right. I think that we've learned a great deal about animal science and animal behavior and whether or not animals feel fear or pain, etc. And, you know, better techniques for training, whether it's humane training techniques for dogs um, or for any manner of animal for that means. So um, I think we've come a long way. We've made some great strides in our awareness, and our learning, and as a society. So we have to put it into perspective. That said, obviously, American Humane agreed, as they do today, that some of the practices were inhumane and very cruel and needed to be stopped, whether it was the tripping of horses or the use of a tilt-shoot. It was just unconscionable, and we stepped in to take a stand. And we're doing that to this day.
2: And thank goodness you are. I know that today, with all the uh, visual manipulation you can do, I mean, Pixar and all of that, you don't really need it today anyway. Uh, So you can get these incredible shots of horses leaping off of cliffs or, or whatever it is that you want without even using the actual animal there. And, you know, as you said, I think things have changed. My mom grew up on a farm, and I remember her saying she'd make pets of the bunny rabbits and say, you know, I can never eat somebody that I knew personally. You know, if she named them, she couldn't eat them. But, you know, I live in North Texas and it's not that far removed from the old days when, you know, the dog is a working dog. He has to earn his keep. He goes out and rounds up the cows and you feed him well, but he's not necessarily a lap dog. So I think that's really a good point to make. Now, today I know that a lot of the film companies and the TV shows are striving very much to get that no animals were harmed designation that American Humane will offer. But some companies do get around this and we'll talk a little about that later on. But I really want to get to some of the positive stuff that's going on here. How do you get that no animals were harmed designation? What are there there are a lot of hoops to jump through? Are there rules?
0: Well, there are a lot of rules, yes. American Humane has guidelines for the safe use of animals in filmed media. And in the early days, in the, the early 50s and 60s, it was a little trifold brochure that basically said everything should be treated humanely. Today, it's an 83-page booklet that we update on a regular basis. And wow. it is updated based on... Animal science, animal technology, film technology, as well. You, you were very right. There are very many alternatives today, so that there is absolutely no reason to put an animal in jeopardy. And what our guidelines are today is a very, very high standard of care. They're not laws, and they are a stricter and much more compassionate code than any of the local, state, or or federal animal welfare statutes. So what we are looking for on set um, is, is a very high standard of care and good treatment for the animals. We don't even want them stressed, much less harmed. So yes, the, the guidelines are extensive and the, the quality of the seals wrap that we have today is very high. The people on our staff that go out into the field and are there on the movie sets upholding the guidelines, some of them are vets, they are vet techs, they have animal science and animal behavior degrees, some have worked at zoos extensively, we have a primatologist on staff, we have excellent horse people who have worked um, not only training horses, but also worked in horse-assisted therapy situations and have trained riding and have also done some competition themselves in various ways, dressage, etc. So, And some are state humane officers in their territories. So these people have a very, very high level of knowledge about animals, and they care tremendously as advocates. Not very much gets by them. and they are very independent, and they step up. We um, are independent of the film company and of the trainers, and they step in with the sole focus of animal welfare. If all of that is followed, you know, the bottom line is if we're there, if all of the guidelines are followed, if all of the reports from the set, they write extensive reports about everything the animals do, if all of that passes muster, then the production is eligible for the no animals were harmed and credit.
2: Okay, well, folks, we're going to find out more about animals and how well the American Humane Association is doing its great job right after these messages from our sponsors.
1: Okay, time to call off the dogs. Pet Peeves will be back with more biting topics right after we kibble a little with our sponsors.
0: New York, the glitz, the glamour, the exciting mutt the sparkling kitty city that never sleeps. Join us each week for Pets in the City with your host, Diane West. Celebrity pet sightings, hot events, and news and reviews with the hottest movers, shakers, and tail waggers in New York. So take a bite out of the Big Apple with Pets in the City every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.
1: Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. We know you're foaming at the mouth to get back to pet peeves. So here's Amy with some more tail-tying, fur-flying fun.
2: We're back and speaking with Karen Rosa from the film and TV division of the American Humane Association. She has worked in the capacities of Onset Representative pre-production outreach, production scheduling, communications, post-production, just everything in the world it looks like. And before that, she was the communications manager and reviewed films with the animal action for the public. And this helped determine whether a film would be awarded the no animals were harmed, in-credit disclaimer. Uh, welcome back to the show, Karen. Well, thank you. I'm exhausted hearing you. <laughs> whole so <laughs> when do you sleep?
0: <laughs> it just proves that if you stay long enough, you you get a chance to do a variety of things with any <laughs> program.
2: Well, I do want to ask a little more specifically about before our break you mentioned the field representatives and how what a wide variety and great background many of these folks have. Now how are they trained? I'm assuming that there is a protocol that they go through in order to actually represent the American Humane Association on set.
0: That's very true. They come to us with um, very solid animal knowledge and backgrounds, and most of them have this, you know, breadth of knowledge about a variety of species. But in the training, we go through the guidelines and we talk about why the guideline is there. How did that come about? You know, why do we need a guideline about uh, working around railroad tracks? You know, we've we've learned a great deal in 67 years of doing this and growing with the film industry.
2: So why do you need a <laughs> guideline about railroad tracks? I mean, don't leave us well, hanging. <laughs> no,
0: okay, well, there's creosote around railroad tracks, and it can be toxic if animals lick it or ingest it in any way. So we request it to be covered Um we we also watch for signs of heat cuz some of that melts and you know in the, in the hot sun so paws need to be cleaned often um plus you need to know the train schedule if you're working on real train tracks we need to be very clear when it's going to be safe to be filming in that area so we we ask for all of that up front before they start um but but yes they they come and we we do classroom training and we discuss um literally on-set protocols and interpretation of the guidelines. They see a lot of uh, filmed training tapes uh, and videos. Uh, They learn how to write the reports that are absolutely necessary for determination of the end credit. Um, And then they do field work. We don't send them out cold on set. We send them out with some of the senior people, and they start getting a feel for what that very individual culture is like out there on a movie set. Uh, And then when we feel that they're ready to monitor something completely on their own, then they're off on their own.
2: Well, I wanted to ask also, because uh, my friend Frank Steele, who was on uh, the last show on this, mentioned that uh, occasionally, and maybe it's not... so true anymore, but conditions where, or situations where the field representative might get a little bit starstruck and overlook or get wrapped up with something else and maybe let some things slide, that that does not really happen anymore?
0: That absolutely does not happen. I have to (laughs) tell you that our reps have been interviewed and they say, who's your favorite star? And they'll say, you know, Rusty the Quarter Horse. Um, (laughs) They're pretty impervious to the celebrity factor, you know, especially since we have great retention. Most of our reps, I think, have been with us for, you know, we have some that have been around as long as I have, if not longer, and then some who have been on set for, you know, at least four years. And we have some new trainees. But I have to say that they're very focused about their mission there on set. And uh, they're also very diplomatic. I mean, that's part of the training. You know, you want to get the best results for the animal having an argument on set only stalls things and doesn't necessarily get the animal what they need as quickly as they need it. So, as I said, they're very knowledgeable. So, when they make a change, when they make a suggestion, they do it with with great reason. You know, you can't do that, but how about trying this? That'll work by the time it's edited and All the movie magic happens behind it. You can do it in cuts. You can do it at a different time of day when it's cooler. You can you know, do it with more than one animal. You can do it with a live animal and what we call a stuffy, a stuffed fake animal, as well as an animatronic or something that's computer generated. They can mix all of that stuff today, and while you're sitting there watching the film, you believe it's one dog or one animal doing everything. It's quite a tapestry of technology, and I think that these folks bring to the table recommendations, and they certainly don't give, give anybody a pass, I have to say that. I don't know what his background is. I certainly never have heard of the gentleman. I've never spoken to him about the program, so I don't know where he necessarily gets his information, but if that did happen in the past, it was quite a bit in the past.
2: Okay. Then I wanted to um, ask also, can the field representative absolutely uh, say, okay, no, we're not doing this. We've got to stop. We have to shut this. I mean, can they shut down a production?
0: Yes, they can. They can stop it until somebody figures out a better way or a safer way of doing it. Or if the animal is stressed or tired or overheated, overridden, they can just say that that horse wraps for the day. You're going to either have to come back tomorrow and pick up where you left off or be happy with what you've got.
2: What about the difference between perception and the reality of an onset shoot? Because I know that... Recently, uh, one one example, The Greatest American Dog, which was a reality show and went on 24-7. In some places, they were filming stuff where not everybody was there all of the time. And, I, and I've actually, I've gone to American Humane site and read what some of the problems were that you guys had with them. Is that mm-hmm. going to be an issue as it appears that we're going more and more toward these you know, reality-based things with amateur actors and their amateur dogs that are coming in and training and, and maybe they don't know what they're doing and should they even be doing this?
0: Well, we don't feel they should be doing it. American Humane would prefer to see trained animals with professional trainers. It's a lot to ask a dog to whos who's probably marvelous at home in the living room and in the backyard and possibly in the park to be on a movie set all day and it's it's tiring, it's tiring for the animals, and I think that you know they need substantial amounts of breaks, they also need their their exercise they they need to uh, be a little bit better conditioned to just take a pet and bring it on a movie set, um, we don't think is necessarily the best idea. Whether it's a show like Greatest American Dog, or even if it's extras that bring their dogs you know, for the day for a park scene in some big movie, it's never our first choice. We would prefer professional trainers be used.
2: What actually happened with some of the things that were going on that... Uh... I know that there was one instance where I think the lady that owned the dog was supposed to have the dog look unhappy or upset or something, and I'm not sure what all she used. She used some contraptions on the dog. I think she used some aversives, some sprays and things. Did Greatest American Dog get this? No Animals Were Harmed approval on this, or did they even ask for it?
0: Uh, They asked for it, but no, they did not get it. Number one, we were not there when she was working her dog. We saw it the way the public did, and we were not happy. She was spraying the dog with citrus spray in the face. She used there are these snarl devices that trainers condition dogs to use, and they're very gentle, and they, they put them in the mouth of the dog, and it just keeps the lips up, and it makes it look like a snarl. And then the sound department comes in and, you know, lays these awful growls and horrible sounds <laughs> on the soundtrack, and it looks like this terrible, mean dog, and that's how they get those, those scenes. But it can only be used if the dog is comfortable using it. When we're on set, if we see a dog react the way her dog did, we would just say, done. Take it yeah. out of it. The, the dog is not going to use this. And so evidently uh, she didn't get such a great response from her dog. I think he turned around and snipped at her. I would. So, I, Yeah, well, you can't blame him, right? No. So we were not very pleased with that behavior. And this is one of the things that, one of the reasons why we don't like these untrained pets and these unskilled individuals bringing, bringing their pets on these shows. I think with a lot of the reality shows, they cast people because they will behave badly because there's a certain drama and, you know, uh, tension there. You know, that that's part of the fun of these shows. Um, but they're not necessarily casting for the temperament of the dog. And with professionals and films with professional animals in them, They're casting for the animal that can do what's expected or be trained to do what's expected. So the animal is being cast in many ways, not the trainer, whereas on the reality shows, it's the person being cast. And I think they're hoping that they'll have bad behavior. That's what the controversy is all about.
2: Oh, sure, and I mean... Yeah,
0: and that's not yeah, good for the dog.
2: <laughs> it's not good for the dog, but, I mean, there's a, in, in the business, apparently there's no such thing as bad publicity. Well, there's no such thing as a bad fight in TV and live TV, and, it's, you know, they throw chairs. And I guess it makes for great ratings because you can... They get a lot of, of people talking and jawing about it just because they made a big scene. So, um, you know, and I know that a colleague of mine uh, interviewed at least one of the judges from Greatest American Dog, they didn't know what was going on either. So here you have some some reputable people who are judging the outcome of the so-called training, and they're getting blindsided too. So I don't know. I'm not real happy with the show, and I'm I'm kind of looking to see if uh, they're going to repeat on that or not.
0: Well, there were things that we were not happy with either, obviously. If you've gone to our website, um, Yes, yes we we do have the review up and that's why we took it episode by episode. I think earlier in your show you talked about how things are piece bits and pieces are filmed and then edited together and and that's very definitely how even these reality shows are done. So um there is a perception and they want the perception to be awful in some ways or dangerous or you know because that's that's the heightened thrill. Whereas on the set, you know, if we're there, we're making sure that it's done in a very safe way.
2: Give people the uh, web address for the American Humane Association so they can actually go and and find out a little bit more, read about uh, Greatest American Dog and what the organization is actually doing to prevent some of these things.
0: Well, we'd love them to visit. It's AmericanHumane.org. And when you get to the homepage, you'll see our Film and Television Unit logo at the bottom right. You just click on that, and it'll take you to all kinds of information, our reviews of films and television and ratings and some interesting articles about uh, celebrity animals and profiles. So I think it might be very informative.
2: Well, I know that film companies, if they decide that they don't care about that designation, they can get around it or they can go to Mexico and film there. They can go overseas. Of course, American Humane Association also, I understand, has representatives available if, if companies want to film overseas. So that's not, a, that's not necessarily an out for them, is it?
0: No, it's not. We, can, we actually do travel to uh, international locations on many films. We've overseen the Harry Potter films for years and will continue to do so, and Pirates of the Caribbean, and, you know, there's a lot of films that we do oversee. Um, But you're right that there are occasions when we are not there, when they, they don't have a representative, but by the same token, then they can't put anything on their film regarding the treatment of the animals because the no animals were harmed, end credit, is our registered language.
2: Okay, and I wanted to touch base also then that the uh, show Beverly Hills Chihuahua was uh, filmed in Mexico but was overseen by American Humane Association. Is that not right? That
0: is correct. We were there in Mexico throughout and uh, gave it the No Animals Were Harmed and credit.
2: I would love it if you could take just a little bit of time and describe some of what happens. Like, I went to the website, and as you said, there's kind of a description of how this particular take was done and how this was filmed to get this particular effect. And give people a little bit of insight because I think they don't really understand how the bits and pieces are put together and maybe somebody who is even working on the uh, film and is in one scene, you know, for half a day, they film for half a day, they go home, and nine months later they see the film and say, oh, that's how that's going to (laughs) work.
0: Oh, gee, where to, where to begin? There are so many ways to do this. Um, very often, you can have the live animal actually doing a behavior or a movement like A to B um, for for a reward, for a food treat, in front of what they call a big green screen. And that means they can take what they film of the animal and literally drop that into any background that they can come up with. They can do a fantasy background in the computer. They can shoot a location like the Taj Mahal or places in Mexico, the top of the Empire State Building, and that dog that that went A to B across the stage may look like it's precariously walking on a tightrope. It's really very fascinating what they can do technologically and without putting the animal actually in danger. I know that uh, there was the Evan Almighty film that had all these variety of species from all over the world predator prey and they were all getting on the ark and there were some complaints leveled by by people that oh that had to be dangerous because all those animals all those predator prey situations were involved and what they didn't know is that they were filmed individually each species on its own in front of a green screen. In some cases, there was only one animal, and they just filmed it twice and put the film together. So it's all magic, and it was all very safe, as it was on uh, Beverly Hills Chihuahua.
2: Great, as we hope it will always be when we have our, our furry friends entertaining us either on television or the big screen. And we are out of time, but I would like to thank my guest, Karen Rosa, as well as the American Humane and the producers for making Pet Peeves possible. Tune in next week for Pet Peeves on Pet Life Radio to hear more about what hisses you off. You can also email me suggestions or post a note to my blog by dialing up PetLifeRadio.com and clicking on the Pet Peeves logo. And for free behavior and care tips, check out the new Pet Peeves newsletter available from Shujai.com. Purr and woofs till next time and continue to enjoy going to the theater, folks. Tune into your favorite pet-themed TV shows and support the American Humane Association because they're the good guys in all this. No acting involved. They're ensuring that animal actors are safe and treated humanely. And after all, you don't want those fur kids to get peeved.
1: That's it. You're madder than a junkyard dog and you're not going to take it anymore. Your feathers are ruffled, your dander is up, and you've got a definite bone to pick.